Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is the market sniper, Francis Hunt. He's a technical analyst, a teacher, and a trader. The market sniper, welcome to the show. Very glad to be with you. Thank you for bringing me on. Tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, uh, a love affair with markets that started in uh, 1987. Uh, had an aunt in the UK who left me uh, a small bequest. She had no children, a few of her uh, nieces and nephews. Put it all in the stock market in August as I uh, debunked to the military. Uh, there was two years uh, required conscription. I, was, I grew up in South Africa to an English father. Uh, only to find that 40% of the money was gone roughly uh, within within the first six weeks of my uh, military basics. So it was a rude awakening um, and uh, I was bitten and smitten uh, with that beating at first uh, at first blow, I think. Did that's you the hold best on? Way for, that's the best way to, to begin though, isn't it? Because you, you, want, you want the first experience to be a bad one because otherwise you get, otherwise <laughs> you get cocky. Exactly. Uh, yes, uh, to be aware of the dangers, to be aware of the volatility. It coincided with an era when um, previously my mother was French, who had her, her mother pass, had put quite a lot of um, her uh, bequest into uh, the will proceeds into the stock market in the run up to that event. And it was during the 80s boom that well, you will all probably be quite familiar with the 87 crash. Uh, and it was very, very strong stock markets, quite giddy, not too different from where we are now. Um, and uh, I was listening to this process of my father driving from Johannesburg to Pretoria, which was about a 45 kilometer round trip. We'd had in the 70s, the petrol crisis. So he carpooled with a few people and he was working and he was really quite higher up. Uh, he was a chief uh, engineer and head of a, a, a substantial unit. Yet here they were making all this money tacitly by checking the back of the newspaper and these mutual funds. And I and I was I was really attracted to working smart rather than working hard. I have the laziness gene well embedded in my DNA, I think. So bring us up to date. That was that was then. <laughs> uh, what's yeah, happened in between? <laughs> Yes, quite a, quite a bit. Uh, an interesting road of uh, upside downs uh, and, you know, uh, the tumble hurly-burly that every person who's a trader and investor, particularly as a, a young man finding himself, tends to take. Uh, so I, I probably, I've described myself and you have quite a strong uh, UK audience. So they'll probably relate to Eddie the Eagle, the guy who was in, I think he was British. I don't know whether he was British or Scottish, or maybe he was even Scandinavian. And he was in the, uh, the skiing jump and he was absolutely useless. And he became this icon of great affection because, uh, you know, if he was running the 110 meter hurdles, which he wasn't, but in my trading career, the equivalent was, I would have knocked every hurdle over and come in you know, 15 meters behind uh, everybody else. So in terms of my experience, I, I, I not only made every mistake, but I probably repeated them um, a couple of times uh, until I decided uh, I'm either not cut out for this uh, or I'm a soldier on. And I decided to soldier on uh, and had to find and build a methodology whereby I could be trusted with leverage. 
Uh, and since then, I've said many things about leverage, and it's the kind of thing that has to be earned. You've got to earn the right to leverage. Uh, and of course, there's these classic errors, usually money management related, that uh, see you suffer from certainty, oversizing, overtrading, and we run the gambit on all of them. So I developed the Hunt Volatility Funnel Method, which is essentially... Uh, rather than being, this is specifically to, with regards to leverage, I have an investment, um, what I call the blue pot. So I kind of divide activities into blue pot, which is cold investment. That's something that fundamentally makes sense and on a macro technical level would make sense. Precious metals for me, silver particularly, for example, and your audience would probably appreciate that uh, if they're familiar with the amount of currency debasement going on. Um, that would be an investment uh, long hold, which doesn't necessarily require any leverage. And I talk about orange and red pot, which is lukewarm leverage. And then those rare occasional moments where you might uh, venture into the sauna. And if you know anything about a sauna, you shouldn't stay too long. Otherwise, you get totally dried out. And then the, the principle is we actually tax down from a red pot into the orange pot and orange pot proceeds into the blue. So you build your investment base. As someone who leads a, a community of people that are specifically orientated to wealth building in reset economic times, I'm very conscious that actually your best layer is your cold money. So uh, fast dough, uh, slow dough is better than fast dough. Fast dough goes as fast as it comes. Uh, and hence the taxing down through into the various parts. So we venture occasionally when we have high certainty and real timing, and we play a little bit with a bit of uh, strong leverage, the medium, uh, the orange pot is sort of medium term views where inherently bullish. So something that we've done regarding Bitcoin, uh, for example, recently, um, you know, we'll have moderate leverage and have a longer term hold that doesn't need uh, that is deep in money. Uh, we have grayscale Bitcoin holdings as well. If you're an investor not interested in getting into that crypto, those are examples of how you position them. And then just physical silver, for example. We've actually had the metals coming off for a while, but that's something you just uh, you plow on with accumulating. So that kind of uh, a structure and then a technical methodology. We're most known for, just to give people a bit of a view of what can be done, the macro technical. Uh, the most recent, the 19 and 20, is we, we effectively call COVID using the Hunt Volatility Funnel Method. Um, we were on stage in March, uh, February of 2020, and we'd throughout the back end of 19 said we saw single digit oil. Um, which is an, a ludicrous thing to have said, uh, given that oil hadn't traded uh, anywhere less than $20 for the last 30, uh, 30 no, uh, $15 anyway, for the last 35 years. And that was all derived macro uh, technically. And the irony of that was, is we were also short Carnival, which is a cruise liner company, a UK stock, which many of yours will know, uh, pipeline uh, and oil, such as Tuller. And we kind of thought, well, it's funny that because technically these are all our trades and this is why we're taking them. But the, the, the cruise liner should do a whole bunch better with this major input uh, of cost coming down. Um, and we got our answer as to why they all fell down um, in March, uh, as we all now know. So that was the big theme. Other macro calls of a technical nature was the euro franc collapse from 1.5s down to sub one, which actually had two stages to it, including a peg fail, which we actually announced and we're doing 
when I was still in the UK, we were uh, appearing on a number of technical programs and talking about this is what's possible. So I suppose where I'm different to other guests is I have a great fundamental understanding, but I start with a chart first and I work back and I say, instead of what's the, the, the story, I ask, here's the, the possible prediction with a real method. What could be the narrative that fulfills that? rather than this is the narrative I now have. News is always too late. By the time you've heard it, um, it's over. Uh, it, and that's our inherent thing. So the, the charts is the actual footprints of big money in the sand. And with an African background and Bushman analogies abounding everywhere, they're great trackers. You have to follow the money that traditionally quoted meme and theme, and the money is shown in the footprints in the sand. And I'm afraid to say I believe people have good ideas of what's coming inside as long before uh, us mere mortals do. So that's where you get an inside to be early. And when you're early, you can have a super tight stop. Uh, and you can have a highly expansive reward. On planes, all American pipelines, for example, we had a, a, a stop of about 10 cents and we called a, a crash from about $26 down to three, which is essentially an 85% market cap decimation. So you're a real trader when you can trade short as well. Um, having said that, we're in the era of the big long now, in my view, and actually we pivoted completely in the opposite direction. Uh, and we don't think it'll be that long before oil will be in triple digits. So we very much, I was listening to your previous guest, uh, Daniel DiMartino Booth, excellent uh, guest. Uh, and I'm kind of very much in, it's going to be inflation and it's going to move into higher inflation. So the currency debasement. I know about the inflation deflation arguments. We can have regular um, potential event-driven deflation, but this is all on a layer of uh, very, very serious inflationary forces um, that have occurred. So I don't know, I've given you quite a long uh, answer there, but I hope it uh, gives you a couple of things you can ask me to unpack or directions you might want to mine further. Sorry, Francis, I was just uh, drifting off. Could you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> word for word, no problem. <laughs> so so what, what, what on earth do you think is going on in the world to account for you know uh, what what I think most people would consider very strange political developments everywhere? So um, my frame of reference might upset a few people, so I'll, so I'll put it as diplomatic as possible. But in my assessment, there's a couple of things going on. Could I, could and, I just say uh, you, you don't need to hold back with our audience? They, you know, I I prefer right. you say exactly they, what they you are think. gluttons for punishment. I prefer yeah, you are they are they. Yeah, uh, well, they, be careful what you invite. <laughs> well, they, they, are, they are used to punish that the, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Well, it, it's exactly. Just, I, I think honestly, if it's honestly what you think, I always think it's better to say what you think than to try and sort of sugarcoat. It's very it. dangerous uh, with someone of a South African upbringing <laughs> to say that because they're likely to tell you exactly what they think. Please do. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, so we have a sort of a three-circle brand. And the reason why I bring that up is that we have the reset. Now, ironically, I feel quite robbed because the World Economic Forum and all these people have now 
stolen our branding cap line, which we've had for a better part of a, de a decade. We have a, a reset sniper circle, we have a crypto sniper, and we have the traditional market sniper, which is all things market and macroeconomic and technically driven. And I kind of answer questions through many filters. So you don't want to look into the room through the keyhole. You want to look through the keyhole. You want to go around the other side, look into a window. And if there's a skylight, you want to try to get a, an app, you know, an aspect from the roof down. Uh, so it's, a, it's what I call a multi-aspect 360 degree base analysis. And when I look through the reset sniper, which is the conspiracy analyst type mindset, we're being taken um, in a certain direction uh, to which uh, a certain number of people do know uh, quite clearly where they intend to go. Uh, and I don't say that um, lightly. Um, it's quite a, you know, you'll get the tinfoil hat stuff and you can, you can you, you know, it'll all come out. Um, but uh, if, if you've studied history, if you've studied the existence of various societies, three-letter organizations, you follow their output, it's without doubt that there's a, an, an end destination. And I don't think it's one that works well for the average lay person. So uh, I can drill down more on that, but I'll park that up uh, for now. As a result, how do you get there? I think we're busy experiencing some of the events for how that destination is achieved. Um, and I don't want to get into medical arguments and pretend I'm an internet specialist or whatever like that. It, whatever's going on, there's some elements that will have been uh, created, some that are being overamplified. There's a whole mix. We don't need to uh, go into the breakdown. But the point of the matter is, essentially, globally, last year, they switched the large parts of the economy off entirely. I call it a great leveling. Um, and I think it's to hollow out the middle. So we've already been pursuing activities through a central banking cartel that has essentially hollowed out the Gini curve. For those that are unfamiliar with that, that's the, the curve that shows wealth distribution, um, what percentage is held. Um, those things have been, that happens mainly because debt has been proliferated to people that are uh, in an inside, uh, inside environment. It's actually very, very cheap to a layman on his credit card in the UK uh, who's on who's a taxi driver, it's possibly anywhere between 16% and even Ursary 29.9% in terms of his uh, Ursary. So there's a apartheid of access to capital in terms of pricing, very dependent on who you are and where you're associated. Um, some of it can be put down to underwriting uh, and some of it can be just put, put down to kind of fortuitous. What does this uh, lead to? Those with big assets, which they can accumulate even on high debt, in this inflationary environment have done very well. So if you had used margin debt at a very cheap rate, let's say you were highly uh, lucky and you worked uh, in an environment or you had a special relationship with a private bank and you were net long the, for the last decade, uh, the NASDAQ, um, you've, you've paid off that debt and some and you've, you've probably four or five x uh, what you have. So what we're seeing is the first part of inflation is asset price inflation. And the, the central banks have been playing a punch and duty show for me where they are pretending there's no inflation in existence. And actually stage one is all the money was provided in the bailouts went to a select uh, ball. So it's a bit like the balloon uh, uh, guy who's entertaining your kids and making little dogs out of balloons. The air gets pumped 
uh, into the balloon as a whole. But occasionally, if you twist the balloon, you can uh, control that all the air goes into one part of the balloon and the other part can be quite flat. So the man, the, the man on the street is in the flat sector of the balloon. And what you've actually had is um, circular, a specific core of people that have had special access to capital. These people don't push up the price of milk and bread. They have all the milk and bread that they need. What they do is uh, they look to make more money and they try park it up in places that will clearly hold value in a debasement environment, which is the environment we are in. And uh, in actual fact, the, it seems to me they're looking to accelerate this process and that we're in the parabolic phase. Uh, in terms of trillions are the new hundreds of billions as hundreds of billions were the new one, two, three, four, five billion. I mean, I remember long-term capital bailouts and now, now we're dropping two trillion at a time uh, and they're already talking about the next one. And some outriders are saying they should do an infrastructure. I thought Trump was supposed to do that in 2016. An infrastructure one and go for 10 trillion, you know. Now I'm sure 10 won't necessarily come out, but what they're actually doing is it's kind of like a negotiation, these leaks. They keep pushing the parentheses of what might be possible so that actually when you settle somewhere in the middle, it almost sounds reasonable. It's in the same way in lockdowns if I say, you need a passport to go to the supermarket, the pub, the football match, and da 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 da, da and I list everything and travel, and then I go later, okay, we'll, you, you can go to the pub and the supermarket without one. You haven't won, you've actually had uh, a large amount of your freedoms, because to do everything else, you're gonna need a, a vaccine passport, but now at least you can still go to the shop and, and have a beer. Uh, and you haven't won, it's just a negotiation where you actually start out ridiculously uh, and you start you know, provoking people's emotional uh, sentiments and then it comes back. And in that sense, this is also happening at a central bank level. So we're in a debasement environment and you should prepare and we can go into the details on that, but just to start from the top down, this is a currency destruction environment, and you need to prepare for that. Fiat is going to become low worth uh, if it isn't already, and new versions of fiat will arrive. And as long as it's con controlled and contained by the same people, the same uh, disease will apply. Further to that, I expect UBI to become the norm. It's one of the reasons you kill all the SMEs and you flatten um, the middle. Uh, a lot of people out of jobs. Um, and stimulus checks are basically the foreplay, the precursor, the flowers before uh, a, a UBI romance for which uh, state is injected as um, the, the uh, provider of last resort. And that is a deeply dissatisfactory situation uh, for everyone else, in my view. Uh, and that means a proliferation model, uh, an ongoing proliferation model and a hyperinflation model. And it is also, by definition, a high taxation model without tax rates even changing. In other words, you're going to have bracket creep uh, by force. Wherever there's marginal tax rates, you're already going to have new taxes, which is, of course, an increase in the green taxes are clearly being flagged uh, as a mechanism. So for, for eating a steak, et cetera, et cetera, uh, driving a diesel car and petrol cars, et cetera, all of these new uh, in the name. So I see very much the green policies as watermelon communism, uh, green on the outside, deep red of heart and full of seeds inside. Um, so that's a, that, that's, a, that's a good macro statement, and I'm happy to drill down on that, how you should position for that, uh, depending on anything you like in that. Someone who spends a lot of time on, thank you for that uh, summary, for someone who spends a lot of time on social media, uh, i.e. Twitter, 
Um, it seems to me that since the Easter, long Easter weekend, a few people have woken up to exactly what might be going on. Is there any way of stopping this reset? So I'm going to answer you out of my reset circle. Um, and as I say, it's almost like a three hats man you're talking to and he places on that one. Unfortunately for me, all my investigations of both history and all elements of that tells me that this is a long, long planned, multi-generational event um, against very well organized transnational forces that have been um, in the undergrowth and have broken cover that even moderately awake people are now coming waking up. But it is a bit like um, the battle or, you know, a Boer War battle. You may have um, muskets, but by the time, you know, the Zulu tribes are already in the bush and they've got the whites of your eyes and they're within 10 feet and they're all breaking cover and you realize there's 10,000 of them. It's, it's a tough ask. I'd love to be the voice of optimism. And I will certainly say uh, pushback has immense value. It will certainly buy time. Yeah. Um, there's many different fronts for which it should occur. And, you know, I certainly counsel people on many of those points. Um, and uh, the better and the more organized you get locally uh, to start. So it has to be ground up because these guys are coming at you top down. Forget trying to win uh, a hearing in the United Nations or a World Economic Forum conference. The people behind that show know where they're going and are hell bent on executing on it. You have to be ground up. You need your neighbor, you need your local policeman and your local farmer in, in uh, the time. So the pushback has to be ground level and it has to be uh, to a degree all for one and one for all. Because if you are easily divided and conquered, which is also why socially, this is such a huge econ economic, but it's also a social event. This is why we are bombarded continually with divide and conquer media, which is race-based, gender-based, uh, and sexuality-based on a non-stop basis. Um, apart from being probably the rogue incarnate by being, being a white uh, male um, of English-speaking heritage, we're getting imperialism and colonialism thrown at us. And the point in history that I always want to make is that these same banker forces were behind the royal family in those historic days that when they wanted to claim the, the, the gold of Johannesburg um, and, and the wealth of Australia, etc. So to have those things visited on the lay white male European is to ignore who those forces were that actually implemented that. Many, uh, I'm a Liverpool fan, and one of the stands is called the Cop, and it's known after, Cop is short for copy in South Africa, which is essentially a hill, and people who died on there essentially have blue collars, workers, uh, young white males sent and murdered. They were sent back in boxes on an epic rate. It was supposed to be the population of Brighton was supposed to be crushed, crushed in two weeks. They ended up uh, realizing what they'd bitten off um, and they ended up getting New Zealand, Anzac and Australian forces to try support and people were still being sent home and it was embarrassing to the point that Lord Kitchener came in with a scorched earth policy, which then saw actually the first concentration camps being a British. Uh, we, we seem to have airbrushed that out of our history. I say that as a, a British passport uh, holder. Um, and you've got to ask, where did that wealth go? Well, the Cullinan diamond sits in the, the Queen's uh, crown um, and the people that create leverage and control the money 
um, have continued to be able to fund warfare. Uh, and that was to seize resources. The same goes in China. Uh, the Sassoon family was closely related to very old money in London, in the Buckingham, Buckinghamshire area. You can do your own research on where that ends up. But that was an opium war because we wanted silk, we wanted tea, and we wanted all the goods from China, and they needed nothing that we had. We turned them into addicts, uh, uh, we spoiled their military, and then we uh, decided to maintain the trade uh, of opium when they banned it because of all the, the destruction it was reaping on their communities uh, and their military for that matter. Once again, the soldiers were sent and it was the working class that never shared in that uh, Dutch East India Company wealth. And one of the most interesting concepts is to talk about the Dutch East India Company, which would be before we had our first trillion market cap company was a multi-trillion in today's money uh, company. And this was all where derivatives were born in Amsterdam and London coffee shops and the financial uh, services was actually built. So it's a fascinating tour of histories. And you, you've asked me a simple question and I've, I've tried to give little snippets of history. All of these similar events, you know, America was born out of Freemasonry right from the very beginning. It's in all their statues and everything. Um, and that's a reset answer. People go, oh, conspiracy, not whatever the case may be. There have always been controls. Every time they say the special relationship, you know, between the, the Britain and uh, the, the US, you know, you need to think more than, oh, we've just been powerful for a while. You know, it goes beyond that. It goes into secret services, information share and legacy, legacy deals and arrangements, which goes right through uh, whether you're talking about the petrodollar with Kissinger and the Saudis. Um, so uh, there is a network. And until you understand that there's a transnational network that has been working towards a totalitarian, in my view, um, globalized structure, which will have quite a lot of harmonized tax, much less uh, arbitrage of lifestyle um, in terms of financial aspects, personal financial aspects, um, freedom of movement, etc. You will have to comply uh, always. So you're having your rights taken away uh, and given back to you as privileged with conditions. And I'm thinking we're going to be in a, a period whereby a lot of that is happening. In fact, I had a book that I was um, uh, reading by Sean Hanlon called The Third Truth. And one of the scenarios was from the Rockefeller organization. And it says, uh, and it was an acted out uh, scenario where they do these drills. It's always interesting. They're well drilled before these events occurred um, that said, and even after the pandemic, um, strong autocratic uh, control was held over the, uh, all the countries of the world and in fact tightened. And that is was the you know the summary passage. I haven't quoted it verbatim. I can uh, pop out and uh, find it and read it for you, or send you the quote uh, later. But totalitarianism and autocratism is the summary line. It's how um, the 2010 drill of a pandemic ended. Um, so I don't think it's good for freedoms, and it's our job to push back as much as possible against that. To what extent, if if at all, do you have any religious um, inclinations? So I'm very conscious of uh, scripture without being overtly religious. Funnily enough, my uh, father was the son of a preacher man. So I'm the grandson of a Pakefield priest, which is the most easternmost town, I think, uh, on the UK bulb. So uh, I possibly should be more so. You know, I went to ch a church with my dad, but I wouldn't say I'd describe myself as religious. But I have once again also looked at 
revelations and um, there's, a, there's an entire theme of how it is uh, projected. And uh, it would be safe to say that I don't consider myself uh, someone who's pro the current vaccine protocols in any way. Uh, and most of what's been driven by uh, government. And the fact that uh, we're all lepers in a leper colony globally, um, just taking a step back on the religious element, have you noticed how synchronized everything is? To the people that say you're seeing ghosts where there are none, um, why are all nation states over indebted? Why wasn't there one guy that said, hey, we're going to do frugal money? We're going to keep the value of money. Why has everyone proliferated debt? Why from Australia to Canada, America, um, all of these, particularly Commonwealth, English language, Western world? Why have they all followed the same uh, steps? It's kind of a case of to hide the inflation, we need the currencies to lose value relative. Uh, only, Simul simultaneously. Uh, simultaneously. So, and, and I describe this always as the scenario of, all, all nation states been thrown out of the plane. And uh, if you remember the early bond, uh, what well, not so early, Roger Moore era bonds, Jaws would sort of tip his body when they were in free fall and catch up with Roger Moore and grab his ankle to try steal his parachute. You know, in that, and, and in a sense, you have the euro, the pound, the dollar, all free fall. And in a relative sense, I'm higher than you, Justin, you're slightly lower than me, and maybe you're a little more, but we're actually all in free fall. We don't detect this. And actually, the plane, which is maintaining its altitude, just in a horizontal line is something like gold or silver, for example, keeps getting smaller and looks like it's getting higher. So everyone will come out with gold's a bubble, silver's a bubble, Bitcoin's a bubble, uh, every asset, the stock market's a bubble, divided by the monetary uh, circulation uh, that has been expanding nonstop. And actually quite a few of those assets are quite conservatively uh, valued. I'm not gonna tell you conservatively valued nominally, I'm gonna say relative to the release of M2 and everything else. And I, I do charting on that basis where you have effectively a deflator. One of my most popular precious metal videos is actually taking um, Shadow Stats, who's um, a gentleman that runs the old Ronald Reagan inflation rate. Now, if you keep the same basket of goods that uh, Ronnie had, which was 1982, the US is running at between 9.9 and 10% currently of inflation. Uh, and he's tracked it ever since. So he's got a rolling spreadsheet of his calculated CPI. Now, the Fed is telling you we can't get any inflation. We're going to have to do more printing. We're still not at 2%. Uh, and, of course, you've got asset bubbles blowing up everywhere. Now, the people that typically incorrectly think that inflation is only when your litre of milk and your bread, uh, loaf of bread at the, the shoppie uh, goes up by 10 or 15 percent there actually has been plenty of that and i would argue that uh if you if you're a fan of this topic as much as i am you investigate the concept of shrinkflation which is actually repackaging of items almost the same size but marginally smaller but for the same price and the number of examples for which this is occurring now if you think that's happening and the basket of goods is actually getting slightly smaller and different items are being swapped in, which are more deflationary of nature than ones that are, were quite inflationary and now deemed, oh, we don't want that one in anymore. You do not have a like for like comparison. So you're measuring a moving target instead of saying that's the stake in the ground, that's naught millimeters. And when you come here, you've done, you know, 
30 centimeters. Uh, so by continually moving the base, you never get that measurement to go over 30 centimeters long, which is the size of your normal ruler, because the base keeps moving. You've got to have a fixed base to measure uh, CPI. So uh, John Williams of Shadow, Shadow Stats uh, runs that, and I've deflated gold and silver's prices um, all the way along um, from the last uh, huge boom. We haven't really had a full gold bull yet. This move up to 2011 is what I call a half. It's not. It's the first leg of what will probably turn out to be a macro. So the last seriously big uh, silver gold run was the Nixon era, led by Nixon taking precious metals uh, dollar off the gold. That was, that, uh, was gold that, that was nine years, wasn't it? Roughly. Yes, it's 71 into the early 80s. So it was a very strong um, uh, run. 2011 was truncated. That high was absolutely truncated. Um, and I, and as I say, I call a coercion of a conglomerate of forces involved in that. And when I, when you hear me speak about um, packaging and trying to mass pricing, is this really just the corporates doing it, or are they being encouraged to do this? Are there forces? A lot of these CEOs, you know, Nestle, many of the products bottle of this water and a slab of chocolate. They're at the Bilderberg meetings. They're at the WF. They fly in a jets while preaching green for everybody else. And you shouldn't have a steak because it's too much methane out of a cow's backside. Uh, and as a result, you're killing the ozone layer. Um, you know, all these hypocrites of some of the most selfish, entitled people laying down laws for the peasantry um, is enough to get most people's uh, blood to boil. And these are the right to rule crowd. And they should be feared. And the, the, the other way, the, in personally, when things are right, uh, they should be fearing us. We do need the pitchfork revolution. We need heads on stakes and we need them to live in fear of us. Right now, the fear's on the wrong side. And I refuse to be intimidated. I talk this truth regularly to my detriment. Um, and, uh, you know, know your enemy. And your enemy is not a black male. And to a black man, I'll say it's not a white male. And to a woman, I'll say it's not a man. And to, you know, whatever genders they, they're creating out there, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a war on the people by those that see their right to rule. Um, and they have a plan, and I don't think we, we fit in it too well. So what about this weather, right? <laughs> what kind of weather you got over there in the UK? We, we, we're having a traditional British summer, which is basically sunshine and snow. Sun and snow. That's why my daughter did send me some pics uh, of a bit of sleep coming away. I, I wouldn't say it was stay on the ground. She's in the south. But I did see the north was uh, pretty well, uh, pretty well smothered as well. With regard to currencies, just to circle back slightly, um, you're saying that they're all falling uh, against each other kind of in a way that hides the fact that they're all being debased um it's a two-step question how far away are we from hyperinflation and which currencies do you think would fare the best and worst so when you talk currencies you've just asked me who's the least ugly in the leper colony yeah um so uh i would say that's an interesting question, but it's not necessarily the, the, the one you most want to do. But I, I fascinate about it as my as well. I would say choose some choose your spouse from outside the leper colony. Um, but in terms of this, this is a very interesting discussion. And I do have an answer for you on that. 
how does it all go down? Because at the end of the day, I'm a trader and investor uh, geared on wealth development in these reset times and supporting an entire community of quite a large sum of people who all rely on my views uh, to support both technically and fundamentally. And this, the model I've come to is actually in a bizarre way, um, the dollar initially does okay in the collapse. Because it's, uh, fact, because it's the least dirty well. shirt. No, I think it's one of the dirtiest shirts. The problem is it's one of the biggest. So, so it's, uh, and it has the liquidity. So in sense, it's, uh, it's, I, I would say that if the truth was known about the dollar, the ruble is actually a better currency. The New Zealand dollar is a better currency. The Swiss franc is a better co a currency, certainly. The Singapore dollar is probably a better currency. The problem you have, though, is scale and flight to might. Might is right until it's proven uh, to wear no clothes. And so the way I view currencies is kind of uh, a round village. Think Asterix and Obelix, or better even a medieval one. The real poor lived outside of the main walls. They didn't even get to sleep inside the security of the main walls. That's made up of the Turkish lira, the South African rand, for example, the Brazilian real, the Indian rupee, the Pakistani uh, you know, uh, rupee, uh, currencies like this will be at the periphery. And then you'll have the more medium-sized uh, Canadian uh, commodity currencies, the Canadian, the New Zealand, the Aussie, inside the walls, but maybe the first zone. And then as you get deeper in, there's often walls within walls and you get the bigger currencies. The dollar actually stands as the world's primary currency for now. Um, I don't think that will be lasting for long, but it will have a death flurry um, where when people start panicking out of, the panic will come in the most vulnerable that do not have the benefits of being able to print dollars. So they will die of dollar debt and their devaluation relative it. So you're far worse off than a dollar if your debt is based in dollar and your currency is losing ground relative to the dollar, which is a little bit of what we've been seeing on the Turkish lira. So in terms of my model for how FX currencies fail, they fail from the periphery, if you think of it as this round biscuit tin shape, um, they fail from the periphery inwards, and the greatest scale is the last to rally, and the failure of those actually causes a pump uh, or a flow into those that are perceived to be the last men standing. And as it is the, still the current de facto king, um, it will get a lot of the money. Some might find its way in euro. Also, during this period, an immense amount for more enlightened people that realize choosing a bride from within the leper colony is a bad idea, even if she's quite a pretty leper. I'll rather go somewhere else and have someone without leprosy and buys gold, uh, silver, uh, uh, possible uh, crypto projects as well. Um, they'll do a, uh, even better still. But if you're, if you're talk, giving me that constraint, we'll actually probably have uh, the, the, Zaw, the people that have RANDs will all, with American bank accounts, will all just be selling their RANDs and rushing and taking any price to get dollars. Um, but there will also be, as I mentioned, more smart people thinking for the next step. And they've already moved, they've begun moving, or they're becoming aware of moving. So um, the dollar will actually get a, lifted up, which will just make the debt even more unaffordable that others have which knocks on the effect of collapse. So you only need 10 or 11 uh, fringe currencies to really have huge currency crisis. We had an Asian crisis uh, in 97 
if uh, some of you remember, 96 and 97. And, you know, uh, it'll all be blamed, by the way, on people like me and you, you know, anyone who trades or invests. It'll never be blamed on the, the macroeconomic decisions that created the setup. It'll never be blamed on the, the internationalist cartel per se, but you will fail from these emerging currencies and that'll cause a lift in the central currency, which will cause more pressure on even mid-tier. So you could even have, you know, the Canadian or maybe uh, a mid, what's a mid-sized currency. That's probably, let's take Canada for an example. If they have a fair amount of US debt and the dollar goes up 15, 20% because the Turkish lira, the rand and all of these are uh, rolling over. Um, you, they could start to come under stress. So what you then have is this beginning of dominoes. Now, it's a question of how far they let that domino falling process before they go in. It's clear capitalism hasn't worked. We need a new money system. Here it is. We've been working on it. We're ready to implement it. But first, you need a little bit of problem before you have reaction and solution. So you'll go down to the ATM and your card's cancelled and there's no money in your account and everything's been frozen by order of your government. But in actual fact, it's the transnationalists that have done it globally. It won't matter if you have a card in Europe, uh, Britain, and one in America, you'll end up having the same thing. So I've, I've modeled in my mind quite a lot, how does it go down in terms of how they'll play this. So that first message means, well, you should have some access to cash alone because you still might need it. Not because I think it's a good investment, but in the short term, during the period of problem, so there's going to be three stages, problem, the reaction, people massing social unrest, looting stores, da 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 and then their, their solution, which they've been polishing behind the curtain uh, and putting the final touches to. Uh, and so you've got to, in that interim phase, You've got to be prepared to survive that you don't get hollowed out and you don't give away good assets for nothing because you can't secure basic essentials in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, you need food and security and uh, water, you know, and, and, and then some power would be nice if it's cold and you're in the northern hemisphere. So you, you've got to be able to maintain these things. So part of your job is to become as self-reliant as possible from states because state will, it's like insurance and it's like banks. They take away the brolly when the storm comes um, and they want to sell it to you or rent it to you when it's quite clear that it's not required. So you've, you've truly got to do what I call financial and economic prepping. Um, there's, a, there's a justification for doing other kinds as well, but I don't think that's necessarily what your program's about. Um, but these are all forward looking. You need to become a futurist about how this goes down. And the amazing thing is you have all the pieces. I'm here to tell you, you have all the pieces. I've been to Ukraine when they closed the ATMs down and everyone could only draw $30 a day. That's how they can do huge restrictions. They say, we only got so much cash and the banks can't print anymore. Everyone's on lockdown because of the green, because of the COVID, because of the da 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 And we've got to restrict this and we've got to rations. And with all your family members that lived through the war rationing period can see this. We're sitting with a whole generation that have never seen rationing and have never seen a, a point or a time where you go to a bank and if you have credits in your uh, available uh, and money in the bank that you can't get access to it and that you can't access a shop to get basic needs. These things are going to get tested. So the problem is going to be abrupt and it's going to be supply chain orientated as well. So hence this, you've really got to prep on a number of levels. So I'm about the wealth, but I'm also about, there's no point being silver bars and gold and Bitcoin rich 
<laughs> and being right and unable to eat for six months while this uh, charade plays out. So it's, it's quite multifunctional that you have to think about because it's going to be on a number of levels. Reset is social, it's financial, it's economic, it's, it's crime, it's taxation, it's everything. We have, uh, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. How many people truly have the right structures to protect themselves? And I say protect, it might only mean buy time, but it could buy you a decade. Remember, they are using certain tools. They can't close all the doors, otherwise they'd be paying the right tax rates. We all know uh, it would be great to pay the kind of tax rate Tony Blair pays or um, Peter Mandelson or these type of characters. And where did they all find Cameron and all these family members? They're in Panama. So we have a solution which uses their tools um, because they've got to keep working for as long as it's good for them. And if they close that, they'll have to open something else. So they don't like to pay their part. They want you to pay your part. You see, it's good for thee, but not for me. That's how it works. <laughs> but there is, the response to that is we are many, they are few. But we are disorganized, fractured, fragmented, successfully divided, and therefore conquered until we overcome those hurdles and recognize your fellow man is your ally and, I don't want to use the word comrade because I fear that the Bolshevik era is still to come, but who knows, is your, your, your support system. Um, and uh, I saw a very heartening video of a Polish priest in... Oh, uh, fabulous. It was Calgary, I think, but it was in Canada. Calgary, Canada. And he, get he, out, he was just... Get out, get out, get out. Out, out. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't seen this. What, what was this about, just for people who haven't seen it, like me? Yeah, for people who haven't seen it, it was a, a Polish priest in Calgary, Canada, and the, about seven or eight cops um, uh, with a lady at the fall came to break up his church service. And he just wasn't having any of it. It was Easter. Uh, and he came in and she, why are you here? And she was, the, you know, she was going on like this. He said, do you have a warrant? No, you don't have a warrant. Okay, therefore, get out. Leave. I'm asking you to leave. And she carried on talking. He said, did you not understand what I said? I said, out. And then he kept on. And then he started raising his voice. And they stood there sheepishly. And then they eventually, you know, put their tails between their legs and left. In other words, he just refused to accept that they have these special emergency laws of any variety and that they have any weight. You will, um, you, you will have the freedom that you are prepared to allow them to impose on you. If you decide not to allow something um, and you stand your ground and you chase them away, um, and I've seen a lot of um, uh, local English folk in the UK on common law absolutely teaching uh, uh, policemen where their rights stand. And we need to reach across the aisle. We don't want to turn into this every cop is an enemy, this defund police nonsense. What we need to get is police forces because they're being used as bouncers of state and the military, I'm a, I fear, will eventually become involved at later stages. We need to reach over to these guys and say, you know, Nuremberg Code says, you don't just do. You say, is what I'm doing right? Or is it just the order of some hegemony, uh, Stalinist uh, leader pact that is currently the, the, the rage? Remember who your brothers and sisters are. That's what you need to get the police. So we need to re reach across to them. And we need in the workspace cops to say, you know, I'm not comfortable with doing that. No, no, sorry, I won't be enforcing that. If enough cops actually start saying, don't put me on that. Um, so we actually need, we need, we need talk and communication with police 
whereby they are prepared. Now, of course, their salaries will come under risk um, and people will do anything to maintain their means. And this is why I've always said you've got to build your own wealth so that you are not reliant on anyone else. Um, uh, South Africa is very entrepreneurial and I've always wanted to be my own boss and I'm exceedingly grateful um, that I took care of look, managing my own finances, never bought products from agents that were paid to sell me and paid commissions, handsome commissions to do it, and uh, took full responsibility for your own wealth building. Everyone needs to do this. Pensions are going to be hollowed out. They're stuffed with government debt. And what they'll do is when everybody realizes how pensions are largely worthless and that the gold-plated state worker pension can't be justified or sustained and they start reneging, and there's already examples in Rhode Island where this has happened, uh, they're going to start reneging on contracts for state workers and private pensions. People won't be able to be taxed so much to maintain pension for one class at the expense of uh, private class. So you're going to find that UBI is the replacement. We're going to have a roll-up crash in pensions, which will be part of the problem. And then they'll say, don't worry, don't worry. You know, eventually we've worked on something. We've got a solution. Everyone will get UBI. So actually pensioners will be rolled up into a UBI. Uh, I call it a scam, I'm afraid, because it's a perpetual debasement process. Um, because on the one hand, uh, they have all these modern monetary theorists that say you can print as much as you like. In which case, why do we have taxation at all? Just print whatever you need to spend. Um, but uh, as you can see, this model just doesn't end well. And we're getting all the narratives to squeeze the last bit of lemon juice out of the, the already squeezed lemon. So the pips are going to squeak and you are it. They're coming for you. You are it and they're coming for you and they're coming for your tax. And uh, not only is inflation inherently a tax because it's debasing your money and your relative increase is lower than the true. So we're having negative uh, growth in income if you had a true inflation rate. So you are already facing higher tax, you're having bracket creep, further new taxes are going to come. Um, so uh, we really have to prepare for possible confiscations on precious, precious metals as well, because they'll be in global control. Um, you have to have a plan for a lot of things. You truly do. How how far away do you think we are from hyperinflation? And do you are you saying that this is a policy that they are trying to engender hyperinflation, or is it just mismanagement of of the currencies by PhDs in central banks who don't quite understand that you, you can't just keep printing money? Yes, no. So uh, this you you gave two options there, and it's absolutely by design in my worldview. That everybody loves what I call the intellectual superiority argument. How can they do that? Anyone can see, you know, I'm smarter than these PhDs and I'm smarter than these people. Unfortunately, that's how they make, that's how they placate you with a narrative of, oh, shucks, we got it wrong again. Yeah, and all of this. And yeah, who could have known? And we also had Greenspan with Black Swan event on the 2008 crisis. You know, absolute nonsense. It's entirely predictable entirely predictable by someone um, like a YouTube and self-made man and many others like me um, have been able to foresee this and much more. Um, so believe you me, 
I don't suffer from uh, intellectual superiority. It's by design in my worldview. Part of, there are many societies that were of the view that you, the bulk of the wealth should be held by the ruling class. And the best way to do that is you create a hyperinflationary environment because the poor will get absolutely poor. The middle class will get tax squeezed and poor, um, and the debt gets devalued by those that are super leveraged and heavily in, uh, heavily invested in assets that retain value. Um, and that tilts the chips of the casino table to run all down to the one end. And as long as you understand that, um, debt's going to be devalued. It may even be written off in certain cases, not for you on your house, by the way, but certain too big to fail corporations might just get re, re Rebailed out, rebailed out, repackaging of debt till eventually they're not, you know, they're battling to pay one fifth of what was originally borrowed back on some hundred year low in low rate thing just to in the notional sense, say at some point it was paid back, uh, kind of like Greece's bailouts. You know, at one point we were paying, providing, because it's a small economy and it could be done, an entire entire year's GDP as uh, loan and bailout money. Uh, it's almost like buying you a year to where nothing need be done at all. It was it was ridiculous. And then the the packaging of all of this. So th these these multiple debt bailouts upon debt bailouts, uh, it, they end up. They end up largely being, if you were honest, you would describe it as massive amounts of write-offs um, and token gestured, you know, uh, payments that by the time that's done so that they actually survive and are adhered to are trivial. Um, so the whole concept of this is debt. Uh, it's, it's actually the best thing you, you could do is have borrowed a billion and put it in the stock market 10 years ago. You're a multi-multi-billionaire and your interest rate and your debt was negligible. Um, especially if you're in the right contact class. And as a result, uh, you could you could sell one-tenth of your portfolio and settle that debt. But no, you'd rather borrow another five and do the same again because the process is still about to hit its parabolic phase. So it is, it is inflationary and it is by intent because it's how you move all the resources into essentially a Bolshevik communistic technological surveillance state. And we are actually, the West is going to have the Russian experience with all the technology that, uh, that the Russians never had. And I just hope it doesn't come um, with a mass uh, genocide to boot. Uh, and that's that's really not the most gloomy, uh, positive thing people will happen. But uh, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of people involved in eugenics um, in these societies, a lot of people's views. Write down, you know, everyone thinks that the BBC's world docks on nature. They're so beautiful. And then who do you have? What's our best friend um, now, the aging guy's name again? It escapes me. David Attenborough. Uh, Mr. Attenborough, that's right. Always comes back. It always seems, and he leaves the final dots for you to join. There's too many people on the planet. It's absolute nonsense that there's too many people on the planet. Um, some people will be shocked to hear me say that because they hear it all the time. If you put everybody shoulder to shoulder, we'd fit in a small state like Kansas um, the easily. In case you could fit them all on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, yeah. And there's more chickens on the planet than the humans. So, I mean, the point is, um, it, it, there absolutely isn't. I'm not saying we should have more people and more births, particularly at third world level where you can't feed and look after people. But I'm saying the overall notion um, is that I'm not saying corporates aren't doing a lot of bad things with plastics and uh, things that are, that are polluting. But these, the, the, these family fortunes were made by the biggest polluters. You know, you read the story of Exxon in, uh, uh, I think it was Venezuela, 
Um, they were polluting horrifically in the Amazon. And then one leader came in and threw them out uh, so that the nation could seize back its own oil assets. Uh, and this was a breakup of Rockefeller oil, standard oil. Exxon was one of many. Um, and in fact, his wealth went up either further when they supposedly antitrust broke it up. Uh, and his plane fell out the sky uh, shortly thereafter. And then there was a new president and they were back in. Um, so, you know, these guys were polluting like hell. They were, they were, they were, they'd, they'd made incredibly ill a tribe that was living off the river downstream from uh, where they were working. They were destroying uh, the jungle. They are busy chopping down the jungle in commercial. And these are all big corporates often owned with huge shareholdings by the same legacy transnational wealth that is behind these three-letter organizations. Um, so, you know, uh, it's it's very ironic to hear them preach green. So they, they want a, an overpopulation narrative so that, oh, the sunny side of everybody unluckily having a very dodgy vaccine um, and losing a bunch of folks is we've solved the pension crisis to a degree or reduced it. Um, and now we're within our 500 million that our Georgia Guidestone seems so keen on uh, having. Uh, and we think this is more manageable. Um, isn't that lovely for us? Um, well, I don't like the fact that somebody else gets to choose who lives and who doesn't. And there is that underlying uh, eugenicists. Uh, and I fear that uh, these people are not the people to be taking health advice from. Uh, I wouldn't take health advice from people that believe that the best thing you have, you actually have a husband of the queen that wishes he could come back as a virus and uh, reduce the world population. And now we have apparently a virus that's exceedingly dangerous that 99.8% are surviving. Um, I don't want to turn this into that sort of medical debate, but I, I just, I don't like the coincidences. You know, there's too many coincidences. So um, I think governments and those that stand behind governments and the mega corps, I think the tech surveillance corporations are the enemy. I think you are the mark. You are the hamburger and you haven't realized it yet. Or some of you have. Uh, Warren Buffett used to say, if you're the, if you're at the poker table and you haven't worked out who the patsy is, you're it. Uh, and I think, you know, the everyday man in the street is the patsy. And, and we're paying um, for the rollouts of these schemes that these people are controlling. One of the core things I say that will never, ever happen, and this is what I say to Bitcoin maximalists that think it's the whole new, new thing and will save them all. I say, these people, and we can leave that definition of who that be for now, will never let you have your own money. Understand the entire control over you is based on the fact that they control the issuance of money. They care not who maketh the laws, providing they control access of money. Because if you do that, uh, you can buy new laws. You can do everything. You control everything. Are you saying... You I'm sorry to, sorry to interrupt there. I, I, no, um, please do. Were you, are you saying that government crypto is going to be the future and, and Bitcoin and the other Ethereum and the other uh, flavors of, of cryptocurrency will be somehow um, either made illegal or, or will just suddenly stop working given maybe quantum computers? What, what do you think the hour it's, is? It's amazing, it's amazing how uh, cometh the hour, cometh the good or the bad luck or the unlucky event. And these are the, the, what I've put in the inconvenient conveniences, uh, coincidences category. Um, so I say to all those engaged in crypto um, that it's already either co-opted. And you've got to remember blockchain. There's nothing anonymous about blockchain. I mean, there, there was this fake notion that you could get up to um, 
uh, funny ideas and hire hitmen and do all of these things. You have a permanent ledger <laughs> that can be analyzed by anyone anywhere on a computer with a TIX ID who can see your wallet just sent X amount of Bitcoin to somebody else's wallet. That's like open source banking. That's like I give, I give a view access to my internet banking to the globe. <laughs> and then uh, when you all, all the same as every time you pay for uh, something uh, with a pound note, um, you write on the back, Francis paid uh, 50 pound to um, William Hill for a bet on Liverpool to win the Champions League. Uh, it's, and, and you can see everyone else before me that handled that 50 pound uh, was used part of something else. It is, it is, uh, it's, it's not, first of all, anonymous at all. Um, it's clearly all electronic, which is what they want. Cash being killed is without a doubt. It might also have its last hurrah during the problem period, as I mentioned. But without a doubt, it's uh, they're wanting to phase that out because that is your true freedom. Because if I give you a £10 when I meet you in person, that's nobody's business and nobody knows. And they won't know what I paid you for. Um, and unfortunately, they don't like that. They want essentially, it's almost like... Uh, Putting, getting everything digital means they can tax and collect on every activity. It's almost the Tobin tax for the surveillance state, uh, for those of you familiar with the notion of a Tobin tax, because that means every trivial purchase is monitored and captured. Whether they will all have a taxation point on it is neither here nor there, but it's certainly surveillance, it's data, and it's information. And this is huge data error here. Surveillance and data are, we've the biggest thing we've lost is any form of privacy. Uh, and this is why we have a, a tech surveillance oligarchy that should have been broken up eons ago. If you remember how much Google ended up paying in tax after George Osborne was hosted by them at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, um, it was it was flimsy small for the amount of money they, they make out of the UK on all of them. You're talking about one company through Alphabet that runs the, the two biggest search engines, YouTube and Google also runs the operating system a la Microsoft, remember when they faced antitrust, on all on the bulk of mobile devices. Um, and they haven't been broken up. Well, why not? Why not? Because it doesn't serve them. Not because it doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve them because they have all that information collected all in one place. So I treat Google as essentially the IT division of the CIA GCHQ uh, division. There might be a few, uh, you know, minor doors that have to be opened and closed to, for a bit of information to flow, but it's all there. I mean, you know, Google Drive. You you put your important documents up in Google Drive. You you know, you hosting your your will and your copies of your passport and everything there. It's yeah, it's like kind of asking going to MI6 and say, hold all my documents for me, please. And they can see it virtually. It's just that is a huge criminal aspect. And where's your government been on that? They've been nowhere. They should have broken up these guys decades ago. Amazon, the one world retailer who benefited most out of this lockdown, also happens to do servers for military industrial complex through AWS and is doing uh, all sorts of things. A lot of these companies pledging allegiance and saying they're as much Israeli companies as they're American companies. This is a transnational um, web. We have to stop. The problem everybody has is they deal in national paradigms. Oh, China's doing this to us and Russia's bad and um, you know America's a friend and this is that. These are puppet shows. This, you're, you're sitting on the floor like a four-year-old giggling at a puppet show 
with some dirty old man um, laying on for you uh, behind a curtain and a box. Um, forget good and bad in corporate stuff. We've been told nonsense about all of it. If Iraq taught us anything, it should have taught us that. In 9-11, there's so many wake-up uh, jabs that should have got people into the streets. If you haven't realized yet, it's a proper show for fools if you buy that. The, you must, the, the top level of major nation states are coordinated. They are coordinated. That's why you have uh, the leper colony being all in a synchronized state of dis-ease, um, of great indebtedness. This is coordination. This is absolutely through CFR, WEF, uh, UN, Bilderberg, uh, Club of Rome, all of these. Why do you need these multitude, multitude of organizations with corporates and big governments working out? Why does every British prime minister, before he becomes a prime minister, always happen to get an invite to the Bilderberg uh, meeting is no one ever noticed that you know up and coming star and gets heralded the mainstream media is absolutely co-opted uh, you can't take news uh, from them don't even listen to it because you either got to have your brain completely switched on and say what's the underlying message or you've got to um, you just got to switch it off uh, and start looking at the alternative media that's not to say they're perfect but these are people asking questions and criticizing and joining some dots here and there um, this whole Cairo, uh, this whole Suez Canal thing, these are tests, they're drills for supply chain takedowns. There's all sorts of things. I don't know whether it was real, it ran aground or it didn't. I haven't got the time to investigate it, but they'll be collecting data. They'll be doing tests on how long things happen. Everything is an opportunity. Um, most of what gets brought down in our heads has been drilled before um, in one of these Agenda 2010, Agenda 2020, Agenda 2030. And you can actually read these documents. Go to the WEF. It's time to start reading these documents and seeing what they plan for you. And what the hell is this all about? You will own nothing and be happy. All, I, all that actually says to me is you're coming to strip me of all my assets so that you can own them. And you're going to jam me on pharma that I'm as high as a kite and an absolute drone of a human being for your, you know, your little 500 million farm just to keep the gene pool fresh every now and then um, when, you know, given the inbred nature of your, your ruling class. Uh, I, I, what's encouraging about that? Um, there's nothing, and they're damn serious about it. And you look at Talmudic doctrine, so you ask the religious question, there's various different sources, not just Christian Bible, that you should have a look at, um, that are very, very enlightening. There's a, there's a supremacist doctrine between these people. They inherently believe they're superior as you, while calling all you down there racists, uh, genderists, misogynists, or transphobes, or whatever other uh, divisive um, category they can create. They are the ultimate supremacists. They are going to make a decision over life or death. Uh, they are a-religious to the point that they see themselves ascending to godliness. The big thing that's happening right now, uh, good people, that is absolutely huge in this reset cycle is the fact that we have DNA editing going on. You can actually get to have your DNA edited for the most likely disease to kill you to extend life. These people are using stem cells from babies. In Israel, they're giving, they're growing children outside of female bodies, non-uterus babies. Um, it's a fact, uh, it's a shocking fact that people consume stem cells um, from live and terminated uh, fetal while it's fresh 
to extend their own lives against disease. These people want to live forever and they want to reduce the population. Robotics has reached a stage that labor at the volume that we needed it. Capitalism is built on an entrepreneur, a business which has labor and capital. And we don't need labor on the same scale we do because we've uh, these dog robots that will probably no doubt have a turret and an automatic weapon one of these days. In a, I've stumbled onto a stage in the middle of 1984, Terminator um, and uh, Atlas Shrugged. If you want the financial side, that's Atlas Shrugged. Terminator, if you want uh, the, where robotics and things automation have, have gone, uh, the movie, and 1984, if you want to cover the surveillance technological elements and the, the Bureau of Truth, your fact checkers of today. This is your Bureau of Truth. This is, I mean, I'm sorry, it's dystopia out there uh, and it's accelerating and it needs to be pushed back against and they have an immense amount of tools um, and, we, and, and we're losing right now. I can't tell you that it's looking good. We're losing right now. So it's not just a financial and a wealth thing. It is total preparation for what they want to implement. And, you know, these readings come from too many different sources with too many different commonalities, all to be uh, the rantings of uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy nut. You've, you've mentioned a few films there. Are you familiar with the Capricorn one? Absolutely, that was the moon lunar landing one. Exactly, it's, 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 it, they fake they fake a man mission to Mars, but it's clearly a symbol symbol of the uh, of the lunar landing. Yeah. And the the thing Lo that Logan's gives, run. <laughs> well, the thing that gives me heart from Capricorn is that basically they 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 have a problem because they fake the mission and then the rocket, which has nobody inside it, then then disintegrates on re-entry, and so they've now got three spare astronauts that can never be allowed to you know show, show, show their heads in, in public again and so the final sequence is a huge spoiler alert so if anyone hasn't seen the film then then listen away now for the next 20 seconds but basically it ends with the captain of the mission running jointly accompanied by an investigative journalist to his own funeral so my question is can is there not hope that some of this stuff can 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 disintegrate if somebody in the journalistic profession grew some fucking balls So to understand how these people operate, you just have to look at a small, you get small windows that give you a little bit of an idea. Epstein case, clearly a Mossad agent for me, clearly running a blackmail scam of politicians and big businessmen for me, clearly running an, an island that has helped purchase, no great talent, he didn't build a billionaire, he's not a billionaire, he's an, he's an operative, that was set up with funding via other corporate billionaires, um, Wexner, uh, who actually took Victoria's Secret uh, on. I mean, where's all the stop buying at Victoria's Secret? We, you know, we, we're so quick to boycott things. Where's all that? This guy was funding him. He was a hedge fund with one client. Uh, come on, man, wake up. It's not even a good scam. It's a, it's a shoddy scam. And uh, he's, he's jet flying the likes of Bill Gates, heard the name before, I'm sure, uh, and a whole bunch of people, numerous trips, including the Clinton Foundations, uh, always up for perversion. And, of, and, and one of the uh, royal family. And, and the royal family, absolutely. Uh, and uh, this, is all go <laughs> this is all going on. They run a blackmail scam uh, going on everyone. That's why presidents are selected, not elected. Prime ministers are selected, not elected. It doesn't matter who you think you choose. 
people will wonder. They've even shown you a little bit of the ball with this election. I don't have a dog in the fight on Republican versus uh, Democrats per, per se. I just find one party particularly more loathsome at times, but generally they're both captured entities. Mm. And people say, well, Trump wasn't captured. No, 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 they wanted, no it's a sale. So uh, but he's absolutely captured as well. But the point was, uh, I mean, it looks like a stolen election by most rational people. Uh, effectively, Biden did better than Obama won on his first one when he had all that hope and change and goodwill for person of color and all of that in all the Republican swing states, which were closed matters. I mean, it's just insane. And you, uh, it's just not probable. And I've seen various cases uh, with detail with video footage and documents. So I, I, I tend to over geek out on this stuff. Uh, so it's clear it was stolen. And they're actually showing you and they're letting more and more of this to seep out because it's part of tarnishing the old mod model and coming clean. It's almost like they do a great reveal and they don't care now because you haven't acted yet. You're not going to. And slowly they don't have to pretend anymore. Because it's still a stress to lie and to pretend certain things and to maintain certain fakeries. That, I mean, that, when they would, sorry to interrupt. That would seem to that would seem to be replicated in, in, in what uh, Boris Johnson looks like he's aged 10 years. Yeah. No, it's a stress. It's a stress. I saw the same with Ben Bernanke. I actually thought, I, I watch Face. So uh, I've done uh, a course on deception, uh, detecting deception. So there's quite high courses, in fact, for central in, uh, intelligence people on, on, on language utilized for deception and how people, and it's quite inconvenient to lie. And it's often in what they don't say or how they manage things. And there's also a lot of the things like the embedded confession and various techniques that happen that try to keep you close to truth. So you try to walk along uh, line that you're holding. And uh, we can pick up this uh, deception in all sorts of things. And it's a very useful skill to develop. And I mean, there's untold amount of deception and it's causing them stress. I saw Ben, ben Bernanke turn yellow. I thought he was going to die of yellow jaundice hmm. uh, in his during his era. And it's, like, it's almost like his liver was going. Uh, I watched him go and I thought the makeup department should have done a better job on him. He literally couldn't do another term. And he actually shorted so quite a short term. The frailties were getting to him. He's relaxing now in a hedge fund like all of them do. They get retired out into multi-million, uh, multi-millionaire wealth for playing their part in the cartel. Um, but uh, it's absolutely, it's, it's, a, it's a sham and it's a scam. And the, 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 the rule of law is most tenuous. Uh, in fact, people that talk about lockdowns. So the minute this event occurred, I don't know if you remember, there was repo crisis in September prior to um, this whole event with COVID occurring. In other words, the, liqui the, the liquidity was drying up in the banks. The banks stopped lending to each other. And I think some of the top bankers actually have insight on what's coming. That's my theory anyway. And we had a repo crisis where banks stopped lending to lesser banks in their view that might be hurt. This was around uh, about September, August. The And it was quite a shock. And then the Fed had to do a whole bunch of printing. I actually think they ran a bit late with breaking... Um, uh, the COVID, you know, sometimes running a something like this could fall behind for a variety of uh, reasons, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was quite unprecedented. It, we were it, we had a we had a predicted depression for that September August when the repo went wrong because of the yield curve inversion. We had we checked the yield curve inversion; it had absolutely inverted, and the minute you start breaking back up out of the yield inversion, it's when the problem starts. So you get the inversion. So for in 2007 and eight, it was in six, it first broke negative into seven, seven deeper, and then it started reversing out. 
that was eight. Lehman's occurred when you were back, actually back into positive on your yield curve inversion. It's a leading indicator. I love leading indicators. You've got to be early. Um, that's what uh, served us so well with the oil trade. Um, and, uh, you know, th this was a leading indicator. It was all going on there. We had predicted 33 months from the last. You actually have a finite number of averages before the, the, the next depression hits when you have your first yield curve inversion. It was all due to happen on that period. And we had the repo crisis and then things were falling apart. And then he, he reversed. We were saying he's never going to up interest rates. He was tightening rates, pal during that period. It's a fool's job. He's going to stop, cut, and reverse. And that's exactly what happened, only he was then subsequently given the reason. But the repo crisis happened before, and he had to start winding back already. And I think those events were meant to be uh, synchronized, and things started to get out of hand, possibly by people front-running and jumping the gun. So you, you've got to be watching the game behind the game. Um, anything's possible. That's spe pure speculation on my behalf. I could be 100% wrong, but that's what I do. I speculate and forecast, and I know I know who I think are my enemy, uh, and I don't take anything at face value. And we look at the charts and we look at the money because that's what they do. Follow that, and that's where you'll see certain things are, are definitely going down. Um, you had asked about uh, crypto, and I'm not sure I fully answered. I just warned that people can't become too belief-based on anything. And if they tend to lend a central bank blockchain-orientated token, um, they want to be the controller of the money, and that doesn't help that they have some limited supply. Bitcoin then becomes the equivalent of gold, which restricted um, central banks in the Nixon, right up to the Nixon era until they cut it to free float, um, which was basically the beginning of the end of the fiat system. It's taken us this long and uh, to break it because there's so many good people working hard and paying taxes, but the debt now is, is abnormal. So that's why I say you need an exit strategy as well, and you need to diverse. So silver, gold, physical, don't leave it online. Um, have it in your hand. Otherwise, nine-tenths is owning it and holding it. So do you think gold and silver will do better than stocks? Because you were saying before you could borrow money, put it in the stock market. You could still do the same now. Um, we haven't got hyperinflation as yet, so perhaps there's still some time. But is the trajectory of the stock market to multiply many times over following hyperinflation? Yes. So the typical definition of hyperinflation is double digits and beyond. My argument is actually you're already at, the US is already at double digits. So when you say you've got plenty of time, it's already there. Um, it's being masked by deception, in, in essence. Um, most of it's gone into assets because a privileged class was given, uh, is being uh, bearing that uh, the bulk of that inflationary benefit. And they've done the sensible thing, which is borrow to the hilt, leverage to the hilt and buy assets that will still exist after the hyperinflation event, like good companies in stocks, uh, land um, and property and various other things. So I'd argue there's already some semblance of uh, hyperinflation, but it's not the hyper hyper, the mega hyper. That's when you start running into 30s, 40s and you go potentially into triple digits, Allah, Zimbabwe, Venezuela. But those are all... Um, capture points. And you had a huge surge into Bitcoin. Bitcoin was $12,000 when it was trading at $3,000 in Zimbabwe. And that was American dollars the, um, in their elements. Venezuela were, uh, were buying a lot of Litecoin because it was a cheaper entry. Um, during their crises, uh, there was a lot of flow coming in from there. So you, what you have seen is there probably in emerging currency crisis, there will certainly be a quite a sizable siphon off into um, perceived good solid crypto holdings 
and I think uh, gold and silver will also be uh, benefiting from that. You're going to have a globalized version of those microcosms that we've just discussed in um, Venezuela and uh, Zimbabwe. And it's going to be all over the place and of a far greater scale. And what tends to happen is there's a shortage of supply, so you get hyperinflation of the asset, which will be both gold, silver, stock market, and as I suggest, there will be a space for cryptos. But uh, you've got to bear in mind that if they're moving to central, uh, wherever they're moving, they destroy, basically. So if they're going to move to central banking blockchain money, and they're going to start paying out on UBI, they're either going to, they're going to either if they very abrasive, try make it illegal, which will force it into a black market, make it less utilizable and see its price lose 80%. If they've kind of more not trying to be as, as obvious about their totalitarianism and they're going to do it piecemeal, they might tax it, uh, establish criteria, all sorts of onerous criteria and make it lose its ease of convenience. And just it's kind of like taking a racehorse and putting 50 kilograms of lead on its back. Uh, till eventually it's no longer winning the race, it's coming last, uh, and let it die a natural death, a perceived slow natural death for which they have essentially nobbled it. Um, so those are possibilities that people have to bear in mind if that's what they're going to do. Or it's entirely co-opted already. Don't forget, um, I don't buy the, you know, this whole, there's fairy tales for adults all over the place in this world in terms of deception. And people are buying nonsense all over the place as narratives. This whole Satoshi Nakamoto is my uh, favorite one that these are, these guys had high level, some of them had high level security clearance in cryptography. You know, they'd worked in CIA and uh, intelligence services that were behind it in the cypher pumps uh, and all of this. There was a, a document in 1996 that very much emulated what Bitcoin ended up becoming there was already a guy that was doing e-gold and he you know he got a huge uh, he got closed down and a, a sentence for actually putting gold down and issuing e, uh, the original tokens which actually had physical gold and that people could trade and it was starting to gain real traction this is why i say they'll never let you have your own money bitcoin if it was a, a true threat my suspicion is it would uh, already have been killed they, they, they wanted the libertarians in there. They had to get their hardest sell customer to believe it was an escape from them. How do you move the cattle into the field next to the abattoir? You've got to tell them that freedom is on the other side of that hill and greener grass. And that the, you've got to tell the cows that are most uh, anti the farmer. Um, that that's you need, the you need the Judas goat or Judas cow. You need the Judas goat to lead them. That's it. Uh, and. And in essence, that's what happens. So you've got to win your hardest guy over. Then everyone else says, well, if it's good enough for my guy who hates the government and wants freedom and says they tax too much and all of that, and he's gone there, well, it's good enough for me because the rest don't do their research. That's the sheep flock uh, herding. You know, it's kind of sheep crossing the railway line when the train's coming and they just keep following the one in front of them, whether they're going to get clattered or not. They haven't done independent thinking or checking of their own. Um, and you've got to avoid that. And you've got to ask all the same question. So, for my opinion, that that, that the, you know, blockchain, as I've already said, is not uh, it's, it's totally open source. So, I think there's back taxes uh, coming. Um, I'm not sure they'll they'll kill it outright. Uh, I'm just saying that's a possibility. I live in a world of probabilities and possibilities, where you know I'd award a certain percentage to certain things. They they get the Fed chairs to talk a little bit uh, aggressively toward it because it serves a narrative. Because then you think it's not their money and it keeps liberty and uh, people that are concerned about the banking cartel coming in. But are they really going to uh, nobble it, or they do or do they already own it? 
Um, this is the big question. So you've got to deal with every potential possibility. I look at something and say, what are all the possible outcomes and what do I put as a percentage on that? And I make sure for each one I have uh, a diversified plan on uh, and to go. The problem is you're going to be hit with such shock and awe. This thing is going to be like the events of 9-11 when everyone dropped what they're doing and watching the TV and didn't, couldn't believe it. You might recall in 7-7 the phone mobile network went down uh, for a while. And you could only see mainstream uh, media. People couldn't even make calls. So we're going to be hit on a, probably a scale that's never been seen before. You've got a globalized debt problem. Um, the, you've got all the lepers synchronized to go down and die together. Um, and this new phoenix to come out of the flames that have been well prepared for you. Um, and I'm, I'm saying to you, this is going to be the biggest event. Oh, this is economic case history alone, just looking at it at a financial level for the next two or 300 years, because people will go, what the hell were they thinking? Um, and it's, it's quite clear, utter gibberish, um, but it's been manufactured. It's not, it's not all by accident, small, clumsy people, smart, but clumsy people making an array of continuously smart, but clumsy mistakes. Um, it's by design. You've got to pump it to dump it. That's how you destroy it. And Greenspan was probably the biggest accelerant in uh, creating that. He should be in the economic Hague uh, court for crimes against uh, the rest of the world um, because he was Mr. Liquidity and he started the pump. And everybody loved him because he, he instead of taking the punch bowl, bowl away, he put five lines of cocaine and another bottle of vodka in the punch bowl uh, down for everybody who participated. And then you got your all forms of booms. You got your dot-com boom. You got your equity everything boom. You got your property echo boom. You got uh, non-stop liquidity, and a big game was securitization, packaging debt, selling it on to other monkeys who had no idea what they were buying. We led into the big short. By the way, we've been inflationists. We called the top of the bond market in March of the COVID announcement. Technically, you always have a final schizophrenic moment in a bull market before it ends. And we were the only people that say the debt cycle is over. You need to be out of debt. And who's all in debt? Pensions, 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 pensions. And we were we're kind of early because it had a snapback rally and all of this. It gave a classic inverted HVF on a macro time frame. We trade macro big patterns. And we said, this is it. It's the end of the debt cycle. My brother was an actuary. He worked in the UK, in London. He lives there today. He was the youngest qualified actuary in South Africa. He didn't practice as an actuary. He managed money. He was a bond uh, trader. And he spent his entire career being net long. From the 80s, he's a couple of years on me, from the 80s through to retirement. It was a net long trade. Bonds, bonds, bonds. You had Paul Faulkner's interest rate cycle that hits uh, 15 or 16 percent. Um, and since then, we've gone nothing but down. And this recent events, because you, you got me saying big short, and that reminded me of Michael Burry. We've recently been joined in the last four or five weeks by a number of people. Uh, of which Michael Burry of the big short, fame, uh, famous for Michael Lewis's books. I love the author. He just captures financial uh, essence and criminality beautifully, and he's got a great uh, writing hand. Uh, he did the big short. You know the movie. Uh, Michael Burry of the big short came out and said hyperinflation, and that means the end of the debt market because you've got negative real interest rates. You're paying less than the, the, the declared inflation rate. You're, you're paying much less than the actual real by shadow stats inflation rate. Bonds are a duffer investment. They are a net absolute fail. And you might have a debt jubilee to boot. I was astounded to see some commentators saying, yeah, but the euro dollar looks good and all that. 
debt is a no-touch market and you're probably stuffed with it. Unless you have a self-invested pension and you've divulged of all of it, you've got out of it. That is top call. It's a year-old call now. And in the last two months, we've had the interest rates going up. We had a spill on the yield and then a massive snapback uh, rally that's now occurring on on the yield. So the yields are reversing. And if you log scale that chart, in other words, you see how much percentage changed This is a huge final capitulation on yields with a massive snapback rally. Big technical trends end. They are bookended with blow-off moves and final capitulations. That is how big technical. This is a podcast. People can't visualize what I'm saying. I'm holding my hands up like this, big blue eyes and gaping mouth. And I'm saying that's how macro technical trends end, bookended by blow-offs and final capitulations. And you've had the beginning of the blow-off occur in uh, March last year, one year ago, uh, as these events unfolded, as we were our petrol, uh, our oil shorts were coming in in spades. And uh, to add to that call, it was the debt top out. And it rallied and reinflated, and then it set up perfectly for, for exactly what we thought, and it's collapsing. The debt markets are collapsing. To everyone listening to this, in my, it is my technical and macro opinion that owning any form of government debt or corporate bond debt is one of the worst investments you can have. The bubble is not Bitcoin, gold, silver, and stock markets. It's the creation of money which is is, is debt. Money is loaned into existence. Governments have borrowed, borrowed, borrowed. There is an absolute glut. I can own, it will never get paid, and the rates are changing, and the desirability to own will go down. Look, it's not going to happen overnight, but you will have major collapse events. We still have a downside target just for this pattern. It's almost met. And then we have a rally and we think we will have the best head and shoulders on debt that you've ever seen. And it'll be the reversal of all reversals. So we already forward uh, scenario casting how this thing collapsed technically in the charts. And I mean... That is the end. That is reset, guys. Everyone asked me, when's reset happening? When's reset happening? We already saw it. So, yeah, so around you. If if yields are rising as we expect, then would that not pull money out of the stock market into what are more attractive yields? Because, you know, to to look at a value investor of Warren Buffett, he he would say he'll invest in stocks as long as they're paying him a rate that is higher than government debt. So if government debt is collapsing and then therefore paying, let's say, a crazy figure of, of well, I say crazy, a possible figure of, say, 10 to 15%, if we get to those levels, would that not just pull money straight out of the stock market um, and bring the stock market down as well? So I, I, get, I, get, the, I get the hyperinflation argument, um, but I'm trying to work out whether there there will be two stages to the stock market one where the stock market rallies because of hyperinflation but then collapses because it's then got the competition of high interest rates so the key part that was maybe missing in there is the real uh, rates which is that less the inflation um and also the relative changes in because we're already in a negative net real interest rate environment in terms of what debt is currently paying 
and in terms of what I consider to be true inflation, what it is relative to the declared inflation rate may vary by country by country. I'm not sure what the current UK, I'm not in the UK anymore. Uh, I don't know what your CPI uh, is right now. Maybe you'll tell me and what your bond, your 10 years paying um, so that I can um, bring that to bear. But it is, it is about real rates and they are still going to remain largely negative. The problem they have is if they allow rates to go too far, too fast, everybody, uh, everything fails. So they are going to move slowly. They're going to lag. Powell's statements a couple of meetings ago was, uh, you know, it's benign, the threat of inflation. He was largely very, you know, this is a storm in a teacup. It'll go away. It's just structural. Uh, no, it's not structural. It's just, uh, you know, stimulus checks and a once-off and it's all going to blow off. So their whole positioning is to be late. I remember Mervyn King being exceedingly late to cut rates um, in the collapse of subprime. We said this is serious. I was involved in property in the UK. He's not on the ball and he got caught. And then when he started cutting, he had to cut really fast and hard. So they often on, are behind the curve. And these people plan to be behind the curve because the problem is if they are actually moving rates up sufficiently, they should actually get back to a proper a proper positive to inflation net uh, delivery. Then people would start purchasing debt again on account of the yield. The problem is if the overall, if they're going to lag it and things are going to get exponential on inflation, then people will see the actual capital of the bond holding potentially going to zero in value. So it doesn't matter what yield you eventually get. If what you're holding is sand um, and it's falling through your fingers, you pass a critical point. My opinion is that there's probably critical points that are already being passed right now. And by virtue of planning to be behind the curve so that they nurture the recovery of the post-COVID economy, um, the, that's the, the bonds will continue to be a poor investment class. Even when rates go up, it will just be trying to catch up on what is already and be less bad on a negative yield scenario and the inflation will be higher, especially when they have to start doing more direct uh, distribution of money to the man in the street. Um, we discussed about asset inflation as driven by multimillionaires and oligarchs and people connected to the banking cartel, et cetera, and high net worth people that have access to very cheap credit. What we haven't discussed is when you start giving money um, to the what you probably describe in the UK as quite, quite class-orientated, middle class and working class. Most of them are going to be paying off debt and buying uh, essentials and maybe updating a phone. This is going to be very, very inflationary. Uh, for demand, and it's going to drive the inflation rate beyond the rate at which they are increasing yields on bonds. So the net negative yield of the bonds will actually continue to broaden, even with interest rate increases occasionally, because they're going to lag, because they have to. Um, because if they go up too fast, they hold too much debt. Don't forget, the UK has government has to pay interest on that debt. In America, um, they only they spend uh, they only get taxed for about fifty one percent less than fifty two percent nowadays for what they spend so forty eight forty nine percent is new debt every year that all has to have an interest payment effectively made so if they start pushing rates too high they push themselves into bankruptcy on the basis they can't even pay the coupon rate on that which they've already borrowed plus all the new debt they're adding on top of it absolutely so they're going to have to lag.
And the problem is when you lag, the, the, the inflation stays ahead of the game. So you, you've let a fox out of the box and now you're running after it and you started 10 seconds later. The gap just gets bigger. He's faster than you. He goes more parabolic and you were late. If you wanted to catch that fox, you needed to have your running shoes on and already predicting where he's going to be and he gets let out and you catch him at the bottleneck, you know, at the gates, uh, the hole in the fence. Um, you're, you missed it. And the problem is there's no catching that fox once it's gone. And we've seen this before. We've seen countless examples of hyperinflation rates. So it's a good question. Um, but in essence, it's, it's they've set up the game to lose it. And then they'll say, who'd have known how to kind of like, the, you know, Greenspan shrug of his shoulder that subprime was a black swan event. Meanwhile, it was a totally created um, credit inflationary cycle that saw credit standards drop and uh, the inevitable have to happen. And you don't have to be a PhD. They aren't stupid. They did it through intent. We had Grant Williams on the show and uh, following his podcast, somebody asked a question. Um, he mentioned that he had a friend um, who was into Bitcoin and had some debt and Grant was saying, look, the prudent thing to do would be to pay some of that debt off so you own your house, you don't have any debt. But the question that came from one of our listeners was, well, if you've got a situation where you've got inflation, why would you bother paying off your debt? So I just wondered what your answer and Tim's answer would be to that. And perhaps I could give my view as well. Mm. So generally, in principle, uh, having a good asset base and uh, devaluing debt is, is, is for these times is useful. The only concern um, that I will quickly add there is that debt is also an instrument of control over you. And in the event that we have an interest rate spike, which is one of the ways I think they're going to get a lot of people out of their property. So you're going to be getting a lot of goyim off the land in a sense. And if you're going to get people out of their properties, one of the ways of those of you who remember the pound crisis um, uh, with George Soros, um, you, you will note, I remember there's, there's even a small YouTube snippet for the guy, one of the dealers on the phone, who wants to buy my house? You know, his rates had just spiked to 12%. Uh, he was like selling his house. I mean, his, his mortgage payment um, is, would have gone up 5x. But they didn't uh, last. Those rates didn't, those rates didn't last, though, to be fair. No, it was a short spike, but it was a test case um, event until, until they uh, conceded. But they conceded. What they could do is they could have a sustained uh, spike. They could sustain that now. And say, well, it has to happen. And what you could have is you get a lot of people flushed out of their properties. And then you get a lot of people um, that are debt holders. You, if you want all the assets, if you have a small club of people and you've decided the game is monopoly and we need to get all the assets, we are the banker and we need to get all the assets of everybody else, um, uh, using a spike um, in interest rates, going, which also dovetails a little bit being late and behind the curves and then being desperate to try to do anything you can to recatch the fox. It's almost like jumping on a motorcycle and, you know, uh, turbocharging it up the hill after him. Um, the, uh, an interest rates uh, spike once you realize the game's got away from you. And I remember that with King, the game got away from him very quickly. It was, now I'm standing on rates, now I'm standing on rates. And it kept getting worse. And then Lehman's happened. And then it was like, oh, okay, I'll cut one, two, three, uh, four times in quick succession. So um, th that, that uh, series of events would probably push um, a, a lot of people that are, have overexploited the debt 
to, I mean, one of my advice is that I've given, particularly to Americans, um, is that you should fix. Everything should be fixed. By the way, I don't sell, it's non-advisory and I'm not regulated, but you should fix interest rates. Absolutely, if you have them. And can I say, get a lawyer to read the T's and C's because I reckon banks know that uh, this is coming. Uh, and we'll probably have a force majeure clause of some sort that will allow them to reinstate some sort of variable clause. So don't trust anything. Um, but as strongly as you possibly could, if you do have debt, I personally am not a fan of owning it. I don't want to. I don't want that lot. Just, it's just like an extra game of Russian roulette that you're asking me to play. I've got to hold a gun up to my head and click. And it's an extra uh, element. And it's an extra wild card with a lot of uh, downside. I'm doing quite well personally. Um, and I'm quite capable with my own cash resources, and I like autonomy. The minute you have a bank in your life, um, you have uh, a Trojan horse, in my opinion. For what? To make more money? I've got plenty, and I'll do more. And my suggestion is to many of your viewers that are probably quite capable people with mass affluent, high net worth, um, is be pretty careful about that, because you could be inviting in an instrument that could be utilized against you. So um, that's what I would say. The event risk is undervalued. If you do, if you do understand tails of a normal curve, I am saying you're going to live some mega tails right now. All sorts of trickery and shenanigans are going to happen, and it's going to become fast and furious, and you won't be able to phone a bank then and renegotiate a new deal. I was in the property business trying to get mortgages for buy-to-let clients where after Lehman's happened, brokers didn't even return your call. Um, there was no lending. It didn't happen. The whole development, you know, was put on ice. It never happened. You know, the, we never made our completions. It was done. The whole system froze. Um, so, you know, anything you think you'll do on the day, you ain't going to do it. You're a procrastinator and you're going to get stuck. If you haven't scenario cast this to your mind, and that's why we have a community where we talk through all of these aspects, you need to have your pre-planned manual and you should preferably have all these things in case. I've got so many, enough things to worry about. I'm worrying about confiscation of metals and physically held, um, the possibility on crypto that we've discussed, the other diversification, um, land, property. I think they're going to come with wealth taxes. I do think that we're going to face much less private ownership of property. And that should worry you much more than how levered up can I get to buy extra Bitcoin. That is like putting, that's like jumping in a Russian roulette, win 10 million or get a bullet through the brain. To, I don't need to play that game. To, I don't need that extra 10 million. To, to that point, there's going to be a march in London on the 24th of April, and I suspect it will be better attended than the march in March, which had tens of thousands of people in attendance, and it wasn't even reported on mainstream media. To what extent do you think that this thing uh, could get at, so out of control you actually have widespread social disorder before any of these plans are allowed to come to fruition uh, tim by the way could you could you come out and come back in because your voice has gone metal again okay i'll come out and be back see you in a sec yeah that's great i switched my camera off because i thought maybe i was sucking bandwidth there um uh, it's a good question so how do you push back here's the important thing Retweets on Twitter and ranting and raving in social media is what I call uh, a primal scream basement for child tantrums. Um, in terms of uh, use and pushback, it's actually almost counterproductive. It may make you feel better, um, but that's why they have social media. If they keep taking your freedoms away and it drives you bonkers and then you need to go scream and shout and rant somewhere and then you get over it and now you allow it, that's exactly what they want. They want to see, and they're tracking everything, including social media, 
They want to see you venting uh, and releasing all your anger at having your freedom stripped away purely in social media. Those that believe you already believe you. Those that don't will never wake up. Um, the real action is getting organized at grassroots level. Get organized, plan, and start implementing. Um, protests are, are good to a point, but you're going to go and you're going to listen to 10 people saying, because many people now get the script, 10 people saying the same thing in 10 different ways, uh, and you're going to feel good that you got some buddies. The real work starts there is networking, Who who's in your district, who's in your neighborhood, um, parents pushing back uh, on schools that might be trying to have a government invited to do vaccine day, um, if you're anti-vaccine, uh, pushing back against uh, police action without warrants into homes, pushing back, there's common law people that are uh, launching legal challenges that have to be dealt with. There's pushback against lockdowns. I don't think they will, uh, I think you can slow them down with that. I just don't feel that there's a silver bullet that kills them in their tracks in any of that. I think it's worthwhile because I can tell you psychologically and mentally, this is a desperate time mentally for many people. And it's designed to be that. You're meant to be put under stress because you will accept more when you're in a state of fear and depression. So the best thing you can do is manage your way out of that. Their gain is to keep you in a mental state of fear and depression. So how do you manage your way out of that? You keep yourself physically fit and you have physical exercise every day. You get natural sunlight every day. I listen to music, dance, jump around, um, do uh, have an animal like a dog or a cat, take it for a walk. Um, take your cat for a walk sounds a bit odd, but uh, certainly your dog for a walk. Um, uh, it, it socialize and hug your, your fellow man and family members um, and take action. Take positive action. The minute you build something you never had before um, in your house for protecting against X, Y, and Z, you, you secure a safe, you put an underfloor basement, you, um, I, I, I will say that it's the, in social unrest, it might be worthy if you're in an urban area to arm or to move out, to go more local. The, the house boom in America that's happening right now is out of urban areas. It's suburban and uh, rural. Um, so have space where you can, you know, uh, and then network, network, build communities, have contacts. I, I'm a believer in having, you know, radio, good old CB radio as well, and learning a new skill because mobile networks could be taken down. We've seen they've taken them down for hours at a time. They could be taken down for days when there's social unrest. I fear that the military will actually have to come involved with the social unrest that will come. And I, and I fear that what I call that um, Lehman's moment equivalent of social unrest, which have been live ammunition fired on uh, citizens. Uh, and I fear that will happen in the U.S. and possibly in the U.K. or other places. And I think that's a, that's a dark day when um, fellow citizens that are weapons of state actually are made to um, imply uh, take lethal force. So you need to bear that a little bit in mind in terms of the social pushback. Um, it's good to see numbers and go out, but networking is the key and localized networking. Um, so you you want to form, um, I mean, we have a community, but I mean, so I, I don't want to push mine and I mean, I'm not in, in the even the UK right now, but establish it. 
Telegram group, a Signal group, which preferably not WhatsApp, which is Facebook. Get everybody's numbers, get them to download, um, keep eyes, do a neighborhood watch thing and build from there. You know, farmer, supply, get your local farmer to have a chat. What does he grow? What does he do? I fear that they might try prevent farms selling direct to citizenry as part of a, a supply chain. So you want to have good relationships with local supply chain. The supermarkets are a scourge in many senses uh, in terms of what it's done, done in distancing us from source of food. I think you want to you want to have a few basics. Maybe you can grow. You know, uh, the brother I mentioned has a greenhouse and he's growing greens and he's lucky. He's, you know, he's out Bolney Way, big old horsey kind of place, big plot. Um, and, uh, you know, he's self-sufficient. He's got a greener house. Uh, he's doing a, quite a lot of things. That's smart. Um, I don't think I've got him as far as getting a shotgun yet, but, um, you know, that, have space, uh, know your neighbors, uh, get to know your local plot, uh, and ensure that they also understand citizens view and maybe give you early notification with some friends of any draconian new uh, laws coming down the chute or bylaws that are under emergency, you know, coverage that they can slip in on the slide. So I think you have to unfortunately be watching for a lot of uh, state-based um, activities of a, a suppressionist nature. Hi, Paul. You're still getting interference on my end. Yes, I think. In it's... which case, in which case, what I'll do is I'll bow out of the call now, but I'll, I'll stay on. But I'll just I'll just be 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 silent. But Francis, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Pleasure, Francis. That's uh, that's been amazing. Thank you. Um, thank you for giving us so much of your time and for giving us such full answers to your to our questions. Um, you talked about your community. I think it's only fair that you uh, allow our listeners to find out where you are and how they can follow you. And um, indeed, they may want to join you. So if, if they wanted to do that, how would they how would they go about it? That's very kind and I appreciate it. And to all the people and listeners, many of you will be in the UK. Um, hope you all well. And uh, yes, we do. And I've been thinking about this, I'm afraid. I've been this nutcase from before 9-11 uh, uh, and uh, even before long-term capital in terms of uh, this, the concern about the direction and the cycle that it will take. Unfortunately, many of these things, are, shoes are starting to drop. So what do you do? You take action and you keep your spirits up and you look after first yourself and family um, and then you extend that to neighbours and community. We have a number of already uh, quite a high number of UK people. I was UK-centric, but it's where the business started. Um, and you can find us in a number of ways. My YouTube channel, The Market Sniper, is uh, about technical analysis on traditional markets, a lot of silver and gold uh, in there, also commodities, watching the dollar, the currency falling out. We intend to trade and build wealth through the Forex failure, the, the emerging currency failures, and I've done exceedingly well on the USD try. We've mentioned the oil trade and other things that have gone on, and individual equities as, as well. We didn't spend much time there. So it helps to build wealth. Uh, if you're to be a slave, be a rich one, you'll buy yourself some freedoms. Um, on top of that, uh, we deal on the crypto markets. We've had a huge opportunity, which we've done exceptionally well. I mean, it's been a seven-digit week for me on the crypto markets. I can tell you we've had a major alt run and we got out at probably the right time. We're just having a real ease back in Bitcoin. So getting it set up to be able to make uh, build real wealth for yourself personally there. This is, and cryptos for many that are a little bit skeptical, it is 
despite what I've said, it's the size of a beach ball in the corner of your room. And we have an entire financial system, the scale of Jupiter that has to cross over into that beach ball. So in terms of market caps, I expect it to expand immensely. Uh, despite those risks. I don't think those risks are right now that we refer to. And I also think that Bitcoin is probably already quite well co-opted given what's seen before. So expect taxation and all the other things to follow uh, and all the other um, regulations. So the, we've done a lot in the crypto space. Uh, we have a lot of smart people, uh, engineers, IT guys uh, in there. We've had a surge of ladies recently, but it's typically quite male dominated, but it's great to have the ladies come on. You can follow the Crypto Sniper YouTube channel where everything crypto is discussed so there's three youtube channels and three twitter profiles also the crypto at the crypto sniper and the final one which actually had the part three uh, switched down by youtube so we mainly we're still on youtube but uh we're putting a lot of our stuff on library now that's l r b y is the reset sniper where i scenario cast and i read about uh, how the shoot will drop in terms of the great game that I think is being perpetuated against us. The only chance of doing relatively well in an environment like this is to understand the rules of the game. Um, you know, you don't want to be playing drafts when someone else is playing chess with you on a 3D chess. And so we talk a lot about that and you can position a lot better. It's also not what you make, but it's what you get to keep. And there's a lot of things people haven't done in terms of protecting themselves on almost certain actions that I think government will take. So we discuss and have a product line for that, um, which involves uh, structures and various other elements. So, yeah, we are determined to make the best of this uh, reset that I think we're going to be forced through whether we like it or not, uh, and to come out the other side as best uh, as possible. Remember, in every major crisis, the Chinese emblem, and to finish on a slightly positive note, because some of these topics have been quite dark and some people will be a bit disappointed and depressed by all of this all, is every crisis actually is also a huge opportunity. And it's a huge wealth building opportunity and potentially for your freedom building opportunity. I don't think the people flying on private jets are wearing masks. I don't think John Kerry has an uncomfortable time getting to collect his award in Sweden, et cetera, et cetera, while preaching green. It's time you build that kind of wealth and it is possible to come. And at the end of cycles, the events move very fast and it allows for outlier opportunities. So if you are bold enough to see the potential of the opportunities that the huge crises will bring, and uh, you want to know how we intend to exploit them and continue to exploit them, um, our community may be for you. It's a community of the willing. There's no hard sell. Um, and you'll actually speak to longstanding community members. If you decide to book a call, you would book that call from the website, themarketsniper.com where it says book a call um, and you would have a chat uh, around various of those services. It costs nothing to have a chat um, and we'll be glad to hear from you. Thank you very much for having me on and thanks for listening. Thank you very much indeed. So Francis Hunt, The Market Sniper, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas and giving us such full answers to our questions. And we hope to have you back on the show again. We'd love to do it again. Thank you very much, Paul. And thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.